Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. So the ministry of better reading from John chapter two, starting at verse three says, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. We see the situation unfold where Mary almost thrust Jesus into his public ministry. And he's there and they run out of wine and they want wine. And she says, hey, Jesus, they want some wine. Kids, don't ever respect. Jesus can get away with more than you can. He looks back at his mom and he says, what does that have to do with me, woman? See, I've tried that a few times as a kid. It didn't work out too well. What are we talking about, woman? This is his mother. Um, she doesn't even respond. She just ignores his response and proceeds with her plans and tells the servants, whatever he says to do, you do it. You're going to get your wine. So Jesus is in this conundrum now. Do I dig my heels in and refuse or am I going to help out and be obedient to my mom? He proceeds. We, we read about it. He does the miracle. He turns the water into wine. But what captures the attention of the ruler of the feast, the governor, wasn't the miracle because he didn't even know about the miracle. The scripture says as we read through it that, that he didn't know it was water before that. They just brought him the next barrel and he takes a sip of it and he calls for the bridegroom and he says, what in the world? He says, most people, they put out the good stuff first and then toward the end of the night, toward the end of the feast, Toward the end of the celebration, they'll bring out the things that aren't so great. But you, you have saved the best for last. And the, the principle here is that Jesus not only turned water to wine, but he gave them something better than what they started with. He improved upon what they originally had. We see him interact with mere fishermen as he begins to call them to be his disciples. And 
he engages with them, and, and we could go into the story and read the passages of Scripture where they cast their net out the other side, and there's a great miracle that catches their attention. And he not only changes their vocation, but he improves upon what they already were. He says to them, no longer are you going to catch fish, but you're going to be fishers of men. I'm going to take the skills that you've used to, to capture creatures with no eternal value, and I'm going to multiply that. I'm going to increase that or improve that. You're going to be fishers of men. You're going to actually use those skills for something that has eternal ramifications. We see that he's a better physician. Mark 5, 25-29. These are all stories that we're familiar with. It says, And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And if we continue to read, it would let us know that Jesus immediately stopped, recognizing that virtue had gone out from him. But I, I found the terminology interesting there. She had suffered many things of many physicians. She had spent all of her money and was nothing bettered. She had never been made better. Her condition had never improved. It never changed until she came in contact with Jesus. And then just, just the, the hem of His garment, the touching of His clothes, instantly bettered her situation. It brought healing. Jesus gives things a better image. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter and there is no Easter without a cross. And we can talk about the cross prior to its interaction with Jesus. It is a gruesome method of capital punishment. It's not a pretty sight. It doesn't show up on screens like this. You weren't walking around in the days of Jesus and no one had this in the synagogue window. It wasn't there. It was meant to be a statement of harsh punishment. The Romans liked this form of capital punishment because it was very visible it was very harsh, and it was very effective in deterring further crime. If you've seen someone going through the process of being crucified for whatever crime, that was a very good motivation not to do what they did. And so the image, the imagery of the cross was one of uh, very negative, negative things. It was something that symbolized suffering and shame and agony. And then it came in contact with Jesus. And all of a sudden, this, this emblem, this symbol changes completely and is transformed now into a symbol of hope and mercy and love. No one today looks upon a cross and says, oh man. They don't look upon it and, and have feelings of dread or fear or doubt. But they look on it and it, it brings hope. It's inspirational. Why? Because it came in contact with Jesus and Jesus made it better. He altered its, its destiny. Hebrews is an interesting chapter. If you want to do something fun with your Bible reading, 
read through the book of Hebrews and make note of every time that it mentions something Jesus made better. It's, it's a really cool study. But Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 says this, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. There's a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. The scripture here is speaking of Jesus, obviously, and it declares that he has an excellent ministry. I think we would all agree with that. Jesus, Jesus did a pretty good job. But it says that he's bringing about a, a better covenant. And we see a contrast between Old Testament and New Testament methods of salvation. And Jesus brought about a better covenant. It wasn't one that leaned on, on man's ability to live up to God's law. Because that wasn't working very well. He brought to us a better covenant and it was established upon better promises. Jesus' interaction with the flesh changed it for the better. It, everything He touches becomes better. I would hope that we could all find the ability to put the words that effect in our lives. Jesus seems to have a ministry of bettering everything He comes in contact with and that's no different for you and me. You were not who you are now prior to Jesus. You would not be who you are now without Jesus. In fact, every area of my life, I could drill down and be more specific. Every, every facet of my life, every attitude, every emotion, every mindset that I allow Jesus to have access to, He changes for the better. He betters me. He betters you. That leads us to a call to the ministry of better. This is the, the process that we have to follow. If we're to be called Christians, we're to be Christ-like, then we also should have the ability or, or at least strive to have the ability to operate in the ministry of better. Better. I was listening to Christian radio a while back and there was a guy on there and he was preaching. I don't remember what he was preaching about. But he told a story of going on a, a trip, a missions trip, somewhere within the U.S. with an elder in his life. And he told the story of how they stopped at a gas station and it was just a dump of a gas station. And they made their way in and they bought their, their snacks and they bought their goodies for the road. And they used the restroom and the restroom was, it was horrible. It, it was, you've been in restrooms like this. It's not, it's not good. And he went on to talk about how he stood there bewildered a little bit as the elder gentleman, as he was making his way out, took the time to wipe down the, the countertop and the sink and the faucets and the mirror in the restroom that he was in. And he said he didn't say anything about it. And they get back in the car and they're, they're driving down the road. And it's just, he's just thinking that was, that was nasty. That was Gross. I mean, surely he put his hands up and stuff before he left, but why? why? So finally he asked, he says, what, what was that about back there? And he, he made the point that Christians should have an impact on everything they touch, everywhere they go. And I, I'm just, full disclosure, I kind of scoffed and laughed at that when I heard it. But as I think about it, I, I scoffed and laughed at it because I don't know 
that I want to have that good of a ministry of better. The guy had a better handle on what I'm talking about today than, than maybe I do. Somewhere in his relationship with God, he had made up his mind that I'm going to do my best to improve everything I come in contact with. I think most of us have a, a grasp on this to one level or another. I could say personally, if I ever ask to borrow anything from you, you're pretty safe to loan it to me. Because I've just had it drilled into me and I've, I've adopted this mindset. If I'm going to borrow something from someone, it, it's my goal to return it better. If I have to borrow your car, then I'm going to make sure I, I try to return it with a full tank of gas. And if I can't afford to fill it with gas and that's why I was borrowing it, then I can at least stop by the service station and, and clean anything that's, that's trash out of it and get some of the free napkins there and wash the windshield and wipe it down. I, I want to return that, that thing better. We all have some, some inclination of this. Um, what a witness it would be of Jesus if we approached every aspect of life this way. I think about how much of a difference it made in my own mentality just to, just to suck up the spiders. Just to, to sweep off the cobwebs and clean out a spot on the floor. And it changed my outlook on something. What if we approached every aspect of life like this? What if I approached my, my marriage like this? I want to make it, I want to make it better. I took the time to really approach my, my relationship with my children or my relationships with anyone, my relationships with, with you and, and your relationships with one another, and we were intentionally trying to improve on them? What if when we showed up at work, our, our main goal was not, boy, I sure hope I get my paycheck today. Now, if you're there and you're faithful and you're doing what you're supposed to do, that should be a given. But how can I make it better? How can I improve this? We say things sometimes that should be true, but I don't know they always are true. We make statements like, your, your place of employment is blessed just because you're there. Should be true. I don't know that it always is true. If we're operating in the ministry of better, then sure. It should be a better place of employment because I'm, because I'm there. The way I'm talking to people, the way I'm interacting with people. The integrity that I bring to the dealings that I have for the business, the amount of work ethic that I put in, it can elevate an entire company. I can, I can actually make it better. We can approach our communities, our neighborhoods, our churches, our finances, our health, our prayer life, our Bible reading. We can approach it with the idea of the ministry of better. But how? That's the big question. Because it sounds really easy. Yeah, I'm just going to make things better. If it was that easy, they would already be better. I think there's three, three keys to this. I want to walk through them. Number one, if you're going to make things better, there has to be a time of honest evaluation. We can't walk in with our head in the clouds thinking everything's great when it's not. We can't walk around down in the mully grubs thinking everything's horrible when it's not. There has to be a, a, a time period of honest evaluation. Stepping back and looking at the situation 
to find out what positives exist. What about this situation is, is positive and healthy and good? What negatives exist? What's going on here that's, that's bringing down morale? What, what's taking place here that's making this uh, less than advantageous? Can I identify the cause of any of the positives or negatives? Sometimes we think of making things better by only fixing the negatives. But there's another aspect of that, and that is we can emphasize the positives. If all we do in life is, is address the negative things that we come in contact with, it's no fun. Sometimes it's, it's nice to just step back and highlight the positive. Positive reinforcement. That's, that's what we do with people. When, when your children do something that's good, you encourage that. Why? Because you want them to do that again. Positive reinforcement. Evaluation does not activate the ministry of better in my life. We're actually really good at this part. All of us are good at this. We all have the ability to stand back as the critic or the cynic and, and look around and evaluate and make our mind up about everything, that, <clears throat> everything that's good and everything that's not. Evaluation brings us to a three-way split in the road. I can continue to move straight forward, minding my own business with a spirit of apathy. I don't really care if it gets better. I don't care if it gets worse. I'm worried about me. I'm just going to get myself through the day. I'm going to get myself through the situation. And we can become apathetic to areas in our life. We can veer to the south and go into a mode of neg negativity through derogatory attitudes. We can focus on everything that's bad and we can begin to do what the Scripture refers to always in a negative light. We can murmur and we can complain and we can gripe about stuff. It's human nature. I don't know why it is so easy to be negative. I mean, you can have a thousand things going right and it starts to rain outside and everybody's like, stinking weather. Curse. And it doesn't rain. Oh, we need rain. We just grumble and gripe about stuff. Like it just it oozes out of us. Christian people, and it still sometimes just oozes out of us. So easy to focus on everything that's wrong, and and we get caught up in this thing. Or we can steer ourselves intentionally north to the ministry of better, and we can try to find ways to improve. But evaluating alone doesn't mean that you're operating in the ministry of better. Well, I told them everything that was wrong didn't fix anything. Disclosure, your environment does not have to be negative in order to be made better. I'm making a strong comparison here for the sake of our conversation today. But something does not have to be negative in order for it to have potential to be better. You can have a healthy marriage and still put in effort to make it better. You can have a good relationship with your community and still strive to make it better. So don't get caught up in the, the stark contrast. Everything that you touch can be made better. So if we're going to steer north and, and try to operate in this ministry of better, the second thing that has to be done is we have to identify potential. So we've evaluated We've taken stock of what's good and what's not. Now I've got to look for potential. What solutions can be found? 
So instead of grumbling and griping, to, to actually step back and say, okay, what would fix the issues? Or what would amplify the successes? What solutions? How can I apply myself to make this, make this better? The second question, and this one is just as important, is what resources do I have? Because you can step back and say, well, I'll tell you what would fix this solution. Uh, $10,000 would answer this. Everything would be great. Well, unless you have $10,000, you're not going to get very far down that road. Right? So what solutions can be identified? And then what resources do I have? Resources such as time, team members, prayer, your attitude. Sometimes it's as simple as a smile. Your smile. That's a resource. There's scripture. Good old-fashioned hard labor. Maybe music to change the atmosphere. Sometimes money. And I put that low on the list because the fact of the matter is not very many issues are solved by money. It may divert our attention, but not a lot of issues are monetary. An extension of grace is a great resource. This is a, a step that's critical because focusing on solutions that are out of your control often serve to ramp up that feeling of negativity and apathy. And it just pushes us right back into that. Well, what we need is five more people. I mean, you mentioned your workplace a while back, how like everybody just got thrust in. Well, yeah, we need 10 more employees. Well, I think every company in the world could say that right now. We need, we need more manpower. We need more. Well, we don't have that. But what do I have? What, what can I bring to the table to, to change the atmosphere? How can I make the situation better and then take stock of what I have and try to find a way to use it? <clears throat> Many situations will present multiple areas that would benefit from your resources. So this is a, another critical step. Where will you be the most effective? Asking yourself, where can I make the biggest difference with what I have to offer? Because otherwise we become depleted. You know, it's, it's so much easier to fall into negativity when we're depleted. When we feel like we've given everything we can give and we haven't seen any change, that sucks the life out of us. So if I'm not intentional with the resources I have and I say, well, I've given everything I could. I gave like one and a half percent over here and I gave six percent over there and I gave three percent back there and, I, and, and nothing really changed. Well, maybe I'd be better off with like 25 percent, 50 percent. You pick the percentage into one thing that I think I can change because then I get to see some fruit from what I'm doing and I can actually make that little part better. And I feel encouraged rather than depleted and defeated. <clears throat> Thirdly, and this is the hard one. Everything we've done to this point happens up here. And it's easy to think about what we can do to make things better. But once we've evaluated, once we've taken stock and we've, we've figured out where we can apply ourselves, then the last thing to do is to act. You can't really make things better without doing something. You have to act. 
You've probably heard it said that we make plans and God laughs. Sometimes it feels like that's how it works out. We've got all these grand plans and then the sewer freezes up. And you just wonder, what? But I think sometimes we make plans in God's size. Because he knows that's where it's going to end. Yep, there they are. Making all these plans again. They're not going to do a thing. Because we, we fail sometimes to get to action. The ministry of better requires follow through. It requires follow through. Pick a single action and start making a difference. Actually do something. Actually apply yourself. Give yourself a reminder. This doesn't seem real spiritual, but you know what? Sometimes we go through the first two steps rather quickly in a moment of inspiration. And three days later, we don't even remember what we thought about. Make notes. Take, I, I take screenshots constantly with my phone. I come across something that I think is beneficial to my family. I'm taking a picture of that because I want to be able to go back because a couple days later, I'm going to be in a frustrating situation and I'm going to say, oh, I come across something the other day that would help me. What was it? And my brain just doesn't call it a recollection, but I can flip back through and find the screenshot and have a little resource there, have a little tool there to help me. Set reminders. Here's something that we don't like to do. Give yourself a deadline. Nobody, anybody like deadlines? I despise deadlines. But you know what's really effective at making me get things done? Deadlines. We're, we all fall into procrastination. Well, I think that was one of the twins' vocabulary words a while back. What's procrastination? Oh, yeah, let's talk for a while. And, and we feel like, oh, I can put it off. I'll do that later. And some of these things are so abstract. And, and they become so just ethereal that if we don't take the time to put a deadline on it, hey, I want to see this change implemented by 30 days from now. I want to make this impact on my family or start this exercise <clears throat> within my family or change this uh, method on my workplace. I want to uh, meet two of my neighbors by, by this time. If we don't set a date on it, it can just be a great goal that comes and goes and the neighbors move in and move out and move in and move out. And we've still got to go, I want to know two of my neighbors. Well, we've had like 12 live in the same house. We haven't done anything. Set deadlines. Make, make yourself prompt to action. Small changes can have exponential impacts. Small little nuances, small little changes can have very radical impacts. And this type of thing, this ministry of better can snowball. Because once you, you feel better about one thing, now I'm motivated to be better at something else and to make change in another area. Small changes make exponential impacts. I'm going to give you an example because we're, we're far enough removed from it. I feel like I can share it. When we first started the church in the Y, um, we would come, we would set up, we would have church. And every week I would do just what I always did. I would wake up, I'd get ready for church. I'd put on my suit. Many times I'd have my tie. And I noticed that we had people coming faithfully, but there was no connection. There, just, there was like a barrier. There was a wall between me 
and many of the people that were coming at the time. Friendly, cordial, but I just sensed that there was, there was something there. Small correction, small change. I started periodically not wearing a tie or wearing a tie but not a coat. So I just simply dressed down just a little bit and the doors of relationship opened up. So much so that after a while, I, I went back to intentionally wearing a suit and tie all the time because the level of respect was dropping. And it's a small little, whether you wear a tie or not, does it matter? Probably not at this stage in our church, but at that stage, that small little change radically impacted the environment of our church setting. Small little changes can have exponential impacts. I was preparing for this yesterday, and, and this is something else that I really feel like the Lord brought to my mind because it sounds smarter than I am. Incremental improvement is always more productive than impressive intentions. Let that sink in for me. There's a lot of eyes in there. Incremental improvement is always more productive than impressive intentions. We're getting ready to go to men's retreat. We, our church culture sometimes is, is very conference-driven. And we go from conference to conference, and you leave these conferences, and you're like, I've got a list of 79 things I'm going to do in the next week. Why? Because we're inspired. We've got, we've got all these intentions, and man, they're impressive. You read through that list, uh, you know, number one, change the world. Number two, change the world again. We, our intentions are just huge. We want to go out and do all these great things, but intentions, they don't make a difference. As opposed to incremental improvements, where I take something that's very small, something that's very attainable, and I say, I'm, I'm going to make this change right now so that things will become better. It's seemingly insignificant. It really doesn't matter. It, it just seems like no big deal. But now I'm, I'm that much further ahead. And then I make another incremental change. Let's have a race, right? Come up here. We're going to have a race. Do you want to have intentions or improvements? You want to have, all right, come up here. You get to have intentions. I let you choose, right? <laughs> so you have big intentions to make it to that door. Okay? Really big. Tell everybody how excited you are to make it to that door. Yep, so you can wait. What, are you going to leave? No, he wants to make it to the door. He's got, he's got great intentions. I want to make it to that door too. I mean, I want to make it there, but I want to make it to that carpet tile first. Okay? So I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm winning. Now you still have big intentions, right? You're going to make it to that door, right? One day you're going to, you're going to be at that door, aren't you? Yeah, I want to make it to that carpet tile, so I'm going, to, I'm going to do that. You're going to make it to that door one day, right? Come on now. You're excited about it. You don't look excited anymore. <laughs> there you go. He's excited. He wants to make it to the door. I want to make it to that carpet tile. So I'm going to take one. And I'm becoming... See what's happening? I let you choose. You should have, you should have picked <laughs> this, this side. You can go sit down. Intentions won't take us to the door. Intentions won't take us to heaven. Intentions won't take us to better families. 
Intentions won't take us to more productive workplaces. Intentions won't improve our relationship with our children or our relatives. Intentions don't do anything. We have so many good intentions, but if we fail to implement incremental steps of improvement, we're not going to get there. We don't just wake up one day. You don't, you don't have a dream. Oh, I'm going to make it to that door and go to bed one night and just wake up. Oh, how did I get over here? How did we get here? That's not how it happens. It's through the process of the ministry of better that we get to where we're going. Constantly improving. Constantly moving forward. Allowing God to take us one step farther than we were before. I'm going to close. And I realized as I'm preparing for this, I've realized as I was preparing for this, that many of us right now, just if you take, stand back and look at our church at large, there are people from one side to the other that are in situations that are less than ideal. Not really bad, but just less than ideal. We got job situations going on. We got house situations going on. We got relationship situations going on. We got health situations going on. And, and we can all stand back and go, whoa, this, this isn't great. And the temptation, or I guess maybe just the options are like I've laid out. I can become apathetic. You can become apathetic. We can just say, oh, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We can just bounce from one trial to the next through life. We can become negative, which is really not what we should do. Or we can be intentional and implement the ministry of better. <clears throat> While all of these things that we're going through may present themselves as trials on a daily basis, maybe we could also begin to see them as opportunities to engage in the ministry of better. Maybe go home. Well, maybe stop by Home Depot on your way home. Or come by the house and borrow mine. Get you one of those little vacuum cleaners. Just go home and start sucking up spiders. Or bats or whatever. <laughs> whatever it is we're dealing with. Right? We've all got our issue. It's not a big change. Nothing, nothing drastic took place. So many times in, in Scripture we see that Jesus' main ministry, His main focus of a miracle was something so different that the miracle was water to wine. But the byproduct of Jesus' involvement was it was even better wine than they had before. Yeah, there's a big picture. There's something big. There's something large that God's doing in our lives and in our churches. But in the process, just the byproduct of, of His involvement is we're becoming better. And the byproduct of our involvement and Him in our life means that, that things we're connected to can become better. I told you it was a simple thought today. I know I didn't blow anybody's mind, but I hope I changed somebody's mind. Somebody's mindset and allowed us to think about things just a little bit differently. We'll close this service out with, with prayer. You don't need to come. There's no song to sing. <laughs> I've seen you scrolling there. I probably should have told you sooner. Oh, I don't envy sitting where she sits. 
always trying to come up with a song to play that fits whatever's happening. I'm going to help everybody, help everybody pray. I don't know what you would sing to that. We're going to pray. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for ourselves that the Lord would help us to engage in this. God, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We recognize the impact that it's made. Lord, my life is so much better because you're in it. I pray that you would help me to see opportunities in every trial, that you would help me to see opportunities in every healthy aspect of my life to improve, not to grow stagnant or apathetic or bitter, but Lord, to find ways to use the resources that you've given me to become better. I pray over every situation that's ongoing in our church right now that you would help us to keep our eyes lifted high to you. You're the source of help and strength and grace and mercy. And Lord, there's some things going on that need to change. And we want instantaneous change. We want to be on the other side of the trial immediately. But maybe there's some, some ideas that you can plant within our minds and our spirits here today that would take us just one step closer to the other side of it. God, I pray that you would help us to see opportunities to make things better. You would help us to see the resources and the abilities that we have to bring those things to pass. And God, give us the follow-through. Help us to be people of follow-through. Pray that you bless us in our homes, in our families, in our communities, on our jobs, with our, in our extended family, within our health. I thank you for a very practical word today. I pray that you would help us to apply it. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.